Hey everyone, you're listening to Something Real. Like I said in the last episode, we're doing something a little different with our uh, formatting this week and for weeks to come, and I'll mention it again in this this episode you're about to listen to, Uh, but we're having kind of a shorter segment that summarizes what we're going into this week. Uh, in the middle of the week, and then the more conversational Q&A type thing uh, later in the week, and then we'll follow it up on Sunday or Monday with uh, the longer sermon that kind of ties the whole message together. So with that being said, we're continuing this week with the baptism of Jesus and why that's important. So here's the conversational part between Rich and I. Thanks for listening. So... You touched on it briefly, but my, you know, when we had we had discussed what we were talking about this week a little bit over the past few days, um, the biggest question that stuck out in my mind was, if John was baptizing in the name of repentance, and Jesus obviously didn't need to repent for anything, why is he being baptized? And you you touched on the symbolism of that, but but really, what's the what's the big idea there? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, one of the beautiful things about it is as we look at what happens here it actually helps us clarify a lot of our doctrine about baptism. We've put a lot of things on it, uh, which is our human tendency to make God's simple things complicated. And so as, uh, as time went on, we began to, to put more and more weight on baptism. Uh, it is an act of obedience to Christ. It is uh, something that is necessary for believers. Uh, but one of the differences between the idea of baptismal generation and baptism as a representation or a symbol of what has taken place is in recog- we see that in recognizing um, what happens here with Jesus. Uh, just to clarify, baptismal res- uh, regeneration uh, is the belief that baptism is uh, how we receive salvation. Baptism is how we receive this regeneration, the, the means of grace, if you will. Uh, and so that's not what we see here. We see instead a, a continuation of the nature of baptism from before it was a Christian thing, before it was a Jewish thing. It was always an act, a ritual uh, for identification. And so this identification here that Jesus has is uh, largely, primarily, I would say, uh, and I, I, I think... Um, there's solid reason for us to believe this. Many of the um, commentators that you might read, Matthew Henry or, or any number of, of more modern commentators, uh, would see this as a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do later. Uh, we see the prophecies in Luke 2 when he's in the temple of what Messiah will do. Because of who he is, this is what he will do. And here we see a, sort of a continuation of that theme, of that same idea. Jesus is the Son of God. And in the genealogy, we see that he is the son of of man, as he would refer to himself. He's the son of Adam. Uh, So he's fully God and fully man, and he will die in our place and rise again. And we foreshadow that here in his baptism, but he's identifying uh, with righteousness. He's identifying with the way of the Lord, Uh, not that he needed to turn from his sin, but in order to fulfill this righteousness, to identify with the body of what would become the church, to identify with what uh, he has come to do, he takes part in this same ritual. That's really interesting because I know when we do baptisms, we usually sing, um, I have decided to follow Jesus. And the, you know, I feel like there's a couple of ways to look at that. And that's kind of opening my eyes to a new way at this very moment. So, um, 
Yeah, no, that's because a great are, observation on I mean, your part. I like think. we've talked, we, we talked last week that, you know, baptism doesn't necessarily, you know, bring you salvation, but I have decided to follow Jesus, meaning I was dead in my sins and now I'm following Jesus Absolutely. and I will have life with him. Right. And that's, that's the picture cool. for every believer in baptism is we're following him. We're, we are identified with him. This is what, what Paul says, identified with him in his burial and his death. And we're identified with him in his resurrection. We're following him in the act of baptism, following his example, mm-hmm. and we're following him in uh, in this transition from death to life. Now, for the rest of our time as believers, the New Testament refers to us as saints, as in Christ. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, we hear this idea of in in him, in Christ. And so, as we follow him, as you as you mentioned, uh, now we are actually. From when God views us, He views us through the lens of Christ. We're in Him. So for us, as the normal people, uh, is it is it a little bit of both? Is it also an act of repentance still? Because for, for now sure, I feel like yeah. it's a it's a whole bunch of things. No, but... it, it, I mean it, it's an identification with what Jesus is doing. But as we uh, discussed last time, the first step to that is repentance, right. and that's what John is saying. Hey, listen, don't come out here and play games. The same thing is what Jesus says over and over again as he you know, deals with the religious leaders, as he deals gently and yet directly with the rich young ruler and says, look, if you, you want to be saved, that's great. Dump all your goods. Well, yeah, I suppose you, you know. can't have one without the other. Right. So repentance and salvation, are, are they go together. It's God's grace, but if we think we can receive that grace without turning to him, then we don't know God. That that picture has been uh, pretty dominant throughout the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New. We have to turn from our way to his way. Uh, it's we're, we're going down two separate roads. If I continue down my road, it ends in destruction. If I change to his road and go his direction, it ends in life. I can't I can't desire, I can't go down a certain road and end up at a different destination. And that's really what repentance does for us, is it just changes roads. So then when we receive him, when we turn from our way to God's way, then the, the sacrifice of Christ is applied to us. That was the same picture that we received in, in Leviticus as we saw the, um, the animal sacrifices being brought to the temple for the forgiveness of sin. It was an act of obedience demonstrating repentance, but it, it, it was the faith that God would act through this that brought the application of it. If you were to go through the motion and do those things without having that, that faith, that trust in him, not relying on his act of forgiveness, then that was an insufficient sacrifice. And God uh, spoke very clearly about that through the prophets in the Old Testament. It's like, get your get your sacrifices out of here. This is disgusting to me. I don't want your fake worship. I want your whole heart. I want your whole life. And that same thing applies now. We, we, we can't come to him um, seeking him as Savior without making him Lord. We have to, and that's what uh, Romans 10, uh, verses 9 and 10, talk about that very same thing. Uh, if, we, uh, if we confess with our mouths that he is Lord, that means he's the, the boss, the master. He's in control of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved. It's both. It's that, uh, that surrender of my life to him, making him my master, and believing that he is who he said he is so that uh, I can receive him as my savior. 
well, I suppose you can't have you can't have one without the other. Then, so why would you believe yeah. one of those things and not the other? Right, <laughs> exactly. And, and so when we start to do that, then we start to reshape things and create God in our own image, and and that kind of foolishness is never going to to work when we start making up religion as opposed to accepting what God said is true. And for that reason, he'll never be Savior where he's not Lord. Hmm. Well, that put a totally refreshing idea about baptism in my head today, so <laughs> I'm glad we got that far. An- another question, you know, kind of go back, going back to what you originally said, and something that's confusing for me at least, uh, the lineage of Jesus, or mm-hmm. the or the his family tree, I suppose, you know, we Luke's is different from right. what we hear in Matthew, right? Right. Well, so we'll establish a little bit more of that in Sunday's sermon. We'll go a little bit deeper into it, but uh, not too deep because we're, we're not really studying the people in that genealogy so much as recognizing that there is a difference, and there's a difference in purpose. In Matthew's genealogy, yeah, why? <laughs> he starts with Abraham. It's a more... A, a, a shorter, more abbreviated genealogy, which was not uncommon. These genealogies often would, would jump generations uh, to show the connection. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the full detailed genealogies were lost when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So uh, when, with that destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the, te- of the temple at that time, uh, we can't go back and trace those same things. But what God has preserved for us are, are these um, genealogies with a point that, that we see in the scriptures. Uh, not uncommon uh, for Jewish genealogies to be done this way, but Luke's is a particularly uncommon thing. Um, different purpose. So, as I mentioned, uh, Matthew goes from Abraham down to Jesus through the line of David, and Luke goes from Jesus all the way back to Adam. There's a difference in purpose. Matthew is looking to establish that Jesus is legally qualified to be the Messiah. So he goes back uh, through, through Joseph, uh, his legal father, mm-hmm. to show that he has a legal right, his, his you know, foster dad, if you will, uh, to show that he has a legal right to the throne through David's line. And he goes, traces it back to Abraham, through whom God promised all people would be blessed. So that's his purpose. That's why he goes to there. For Luke, his purpose here is having just established the deity of Christ in this baptism narrative. Now he goes back through Mary. Uh, so we, he starts with uh, Heli or Eli, uh, who was not Joseph's father, but Mary's father, and traces back through her lineage, through Nathan, uh, son of David, and goes all the way back to Adam to show that Jesus, in his natural blood heritage, is fully human. Goes all the way back to that first man. And, and Paul would refer to Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus as the second Adam. And so Jesus, being fully man and fully God, was uniquely qualified to be able to bridge the gap between us, to take our sin and uh, bear it for us to make us right with God. So, I mean, because it would be easy, I guess, to say, well, what's, these are two different things, but right. they both serve a separate purpose. Yeah, and, and the important thing also to remember but is But a that dual purpose at the same time. It, it, it is for a purpose. There is a, a reason for each of these differences, but we don't have to resolve every uncomfortable or difficult sure. thing 
for our salvation. But this, that's kind of cool because it, it kind of does. Good to see. Yeah. It kind of does resolve it because right. you say he is this and he is this. And again, with all of our, Black whenever we're looking at these uh, understandings of scripture, we need to take into account what we're looking at. What's the purpose of the writer? What's the genre of the writing? And here we're looking at a biblical uh, gospel narrative. Uh, but as we look at, you know, the Psalms, we read them differently than we might the, the epistles, the letters. Um, and we read those differently than we might a historical text such as a gospel narrative or a Old Testament history. So we got to take those into account. What is the what is the author's in, uh, purpose? The the authorial intent. So who's he writing to? Why is he writing it? Luke's purpose is different than Matthew's. Right. So his approach is different than Matthew's. He's writing to establish a different thing to a different group of people, and. And it I think works. It's also who he is. We're it's talking who about is. who he is, is, is right. who you are, is what you do. And, you know, we, in this first episode of the series, we talked about, you know, Luke 9, the science guy. Right. And so going at it from a science based or, a, you know, he's tracing back the man line. Right. And that seems more like something a doctor would do to me rather than Matthew tracing back the, yes, he is qualified to be the Messiah. Sure. It, so, it, well, and, uh, and how do we, how can we say that this is different? Well, he's. Pointing out, he makes it very clear, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Mm -hmm. Pointing out that he's, while Joseph is his legal dad, he's not not Jesus, uh, he's not his sire, his his legal father. He didn't beget Jesus. And it would be uncommon to to cite a female here in the in the genealogy at the time. So Mary's name isn't mentioned. Mm. He's reckoned through Joseph. However, he shows Mary's line. To establish the humanity of Jesus. Why wouldn't Mary be uh, mentioned? Just, uh, it was the the typical uh, social norm as you were going through these genealogies. Females weren't generally. It was reckoned through the man, and so they would use the male names. Uh, Matthew, however, uh, does some unusual things and includes females, uh, four females, if I'm not mistaken, in his genealogy. Uh, if we were doing a series on Matthew, I would know that beforehand. But, uh, but anyway, uh, he does an unusual Give it thing, time. an unusual thing, in including them uh, for his purpose. Luke does not, because normally in genealogies it would be reckoned to the father. But we're assuming that that's her line, right? Yep. So, so we start with her father, Joseph's father-in-law, and then work backward from there. Okay. Well, that's a lot to. I feel like there's a lot of that's been clarified for me today. <laughs> so that's really good. Well, good. And we're just going to get deeper into this on, on Sunday, right? So Indeed. Yeah, we'll, we'll take those same concepts, develop, develop them a little bit more, and look at the applications. What does this mean then? If this is the case, if these truths uh, that we see here that we hold to be self-evident, uh, if that's all what it is, then... What does that mean for us in living our life today? Well, there's still, I think, a lot of a lot to be unpacked about the whole idea of baptism too, and what what it meant for Jesus to do that. Um, I know, again, we talked about uh, in in regards to the baptism of Jesus, the the Father's words, "This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased." What does that mean for for us today? Yeah. And that that's really where the rubber meets the road as, as far as our daily living. When we're going forward forward with this. What does it mean to be in Christ? Mm-hmm. What is the power of that identity in our daily experience? And so we'll de- develop that a little bit. All right. Well, then stay tuned and be sure to listen in on Sunday. We're going to try to do things a little bit differently with our formatting um, with three episodes through the week. We'll have a, a shorter one and then kind of a medium-sized one and then our longer sermons on Sunday. So hopefully everybody can find something that works with their uh, listening preferences. So be sure to listen on Sunday and we'll catch you next time.